Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have today to gather together and worship. And I thank you that your word says that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And Father, as we have sung about the very presence of God, as we have sung about the idea of that presence raining down on us, I thank you that as we worship you together, that we can sense the very presence of God. Father, I pray for those that are a part of our church family today that are dealing with COVID, for their families, Lord, to be able to to carry out the quarantining process. Father, I pray for our our families uh, in our church that that have uh, a member of that family that works in the healthcare department. I pray for our families that have teachers and and school bus drivers and and secretaries and principals um, that that work in the school system teaching our children and leading them. Father, we know that the pressure on them has been difficult. Father, I pray for those in our church family that are involved in in child care and daycare programs. God, we know the challenge that, uh, that has been on them as they try to carry out their responsibilities. Father, we pray for those that during this pandemic have been dealing, uh, Lord, with, with their own health issues, uh, whether of cancer or, or heart issues or, or something else. Father, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would rain down the healing power of Jesus Christ upon them. Lord, we're so thankful that your word says that by your stripes we are healed. And God, we pray that you would bring healing to these individuals. And Father, we pray that you would bring healing to our nation. Lord, these past eight months, there has been so much division, so much dissension, so much isolation and separation that has been necessary uh, in order to get through this pandemic. And I pray that our country and the church would begin to be rebuilt once again. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's great to have you with us here on Church Online today. Thank you for being a part of our service. If you're new to Church Online, my name's Kevin Taylor. I'm the lead pastor here at Silver Creek. It's really great to have you. We'd love it if you would go onto our website, fill out a digital connect card so that we can begin to be connected to you. Well, let me start out this morning by simply saying Merry Christmas, and I'm envisioning your living room. I'm envisioning where you are right now, all of the Christmas decorations in your home, the tree, undoubtedly the presents that have been wrapped and placed under that tree. And those of you that don't have all the wrapping done yet, you know who you are, and I'm sure you know when you can ultimately get that done. But I tell you, this is a time of year where there's so much tradition that takes place. This past week in our Connect group, we talked about the idea of tradition of Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, when do you open your Christmas presents? And I was amazed by 
really the, the how, how strong the opinions were. And we had such a great time of discussion. And I had a few people that they really backed me up and, and they, you know, acknowledged rightly that it's, it's Christmas morning that really is the, the only true appropriate time to open your Christmas presents. But there's so many great memories in our, our lives, in our families. Um, I, I recall over the years, we would always get such a kick out of it. Whenever Becca would open up a gift as a child, she would say, it's just what I always wanted. And that just really brings back a lot of warm memories. I remember getting gifts for our kids, and, and my wife is such a phenomenal gift giver, and we would get a gift for them that they were not expecting, that they did not think that there was any way that they would be able to get that gift, and it was beyond their imagination, and we would watch them open that gift, and it was such an incredible joy, and they're so many memories, and I'm so thankful for that. I remember just a few years ago uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, coming home from Christmas Eve service, and we were going to open our presents as a family. Remember, I said this is a, this is a long debate, but on Christmas Eve, I, I saw this massive gift beside the tree. It was six feet tall. It was at least this, this wide, and it, it was, I don't even know how she got it wrapped. It was massive. And I opened that gift. It was for me. I opened that gift, and it was a ladder. It was kind of like an extension ladder, but a little bit different type of one. And it's something that I have used incredibly, and I will use it for years and years and years. Some of you may know that, that December 26th, the day after Christmas, that's my birthday. And so it's kind of nice to get up that next day and know, hey, I might get another gift today. Well, I, I got up on my birthday, and sure enough, I got some gifts. And one of the gifts that I received for my birthday the day after Christmas was another ladder. And my wife is a phenomenal gift giver. That is her love language. And I will still to this day give her a little bit of grief because she got me a ladder for Christmas and for my birthday. And her response is, but you needed them, and look at how much you've used them, and that ultimately is the truth. Well, this series that we're talking about is called Tis the Season, and today I'd like to share a message with you called Battle for Hope. We've been studying the history and the meaning behind many of these wonderful songs that we sing at Christmas. The inspiration, however, for these songs is not always warm and fuzzy, like the memories that I shared with you just a few moments ago. Memories from our past that are wonderful. These songs are, are often written from a, a, a place of pain. And today, the song that we're going to look at certainly was written from a very dark place. It was taken from a poem that was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And the first thing that I'd like to draw your attention to is every single chorus in the song. He writes the phrase, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let me just draw your attention to that first verse of the song. And here's what it says. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
Historians tell us that this song was written on, this poem that was turned into a song was written on Christmas Day, and it was the bells on Christmas that really caused Longfellow to to, uh, think of writing it, and it really drew his attention that day as he realized that every church bell in every bell tower in all of Christendom would be ringing out that day, and all of them declaring the same message, the message of peace on earth and goodwill to men. This message had been rolling across history for years and years. We can look 750 years earlier from the birth of Jesus to the book of Isaiah, and we can read from chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, some really special words that we often use at Christmas Eve, where the prophet says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. God declared that this child that was to be born would be the Prince of Peace. Now that title of Prince is not a title that is earned. It is a title that is bestowed or invested As an example, take Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales. When Charles was 20 years old, his mother, Queen Elizabeth, invested him with the title of prince. And at 20, he had really done nothing, or or, or at least not very much, that, that would have earned him that title. But instead, as the oldest male child of the queen, he met the specifications for that title. He's called the Prince of Wales because Wales is a part of the United Kingdom. And as such, Prince Charles is a representative of that kingdom. And he operates with the authority of that kingdom. So let's fast forward back to uh, when, when from Isaiah now to when the angel met with Mary. And what did he say to her? He announced the birth of this child and he gave the position of this child as well. He said that this child would rule David's throne and over his kingdom. This child would be of royal line. And we see from his lineage in Matthew and Luke that on both sides of his family, Jesus the Messiah comes from the royal line of David. We look at what the great company of of heavenly hosts, when they appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we see that they said, they declared glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, the peace of God had come to earth, and it came to earth in the form of a baby who was declared to be the Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as our peace. Paul, uh, excuse me, peace, Jesus tells us, is something that he is able to, to give. There's it's, he's able to leave it with us. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not 
be afraid. So what's the big deal about this piece? Why do we need it anyway? I love Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, where the apostle Paul says this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, look what it does, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard literally refers to a military sentry that, that stands guarding our hearts and our minds. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow one day said, perhaps God will give me peace. Imagine being able to write these beautiful lyrics, and yet it would seem that he did not possess the peace of God in his own life. Now, most of us, we know the true Christmas story, but my question to you is this. Do you know the Prince of Peace? Down in the Fox Valley for years, there was a, a really large um, sign on the side of the road that for years it said, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. And then it also said, no Jesus, N-O, no Jesus, no peace. And what that sign was telling us is that if we don't know Jesus we really don't know what it is to have real peace. But if we K-N-O-W him, if we know him, we will have the true peace of God. My question is, do you have the peace of God that Longfellow wrote of in your life? The peace that was prophesied by Isaiah, the peace that was announced by the angels, the peace that was received by the world. The next thing I'd like to draw your attention to is two little words in the third verse, in despair. Let me read that verse for you. It says, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know, in many ways, it would seem as if this third verse was written not when it was in the 1860s, but it, was, it seems like it could be written in 2020 and dropped into that carol. If you were to travel to Minneapolis and drive up and down Lake Street, you would see miles and miles of burned out stores that are still there. You could listen to the stories of those whose livelihoods have been destroyed. You could travel this country and hear the story of those whose loved ones have been injured or, or even killed defending and protecting the citizens of our nation. You could hear stories from those who have family members in long-term care facilities and they have been forced to have uh, meetings with them through glass and not be able to actually be with their families. The CDC tells us that the rate of depression in June of 2020 is three to four times that of June of 2019. When I read this statistic, I thought to myself, what is it specifically? What are the factors that really have caused that greater level of depression and anxiety simply 12 months uh, separated. 
And what I found was this, that the idea of trauma, this, this widespread pandemic that we're facing, just the simple idea of this pandemic, for some it's the fear of getting sick because they either uh, are, are simply just afraid of it or maybe there's other physical conditions that cause them to have fear because they know that it would be harder on them. The social distancing factor has been so extreme. I know for myself, just I have this desire to just be around people. And the difficulty is sometimes being around people, it's not enough because even when you're around people, you have to maintain that distance. You have to uh, maintain that space between you when really a handshake and a hug is something that you truly long for. I know that that's the case for me. For others, it's the sense of financial or, or their, their unemployment concerns that they have. Another big thing is food and housing insecurity. It's been reported by TV6 here in Marquette that in our county, that the food insecurity rate uh, in the past few months was one in eight people. And that rate has now risen to one in five people in our community. And we might wonder to ourselves, what can we do as a believer? What can we do as the church to really address this kind of despair? One thing that we've been doing throughout the pandemic uh, and throughout the COVID time period is, is partnering with Feeding America. And we have had five Feeding America events during COVID. And it's something that we've really loved. The last one that we had was the end of October. And that day there were 350 plus families that received food from Feeding America that day. The tragic thing is that we found out that there were a number of families that were turned away at the tail end because we didn't have enough food. I'm thrilled to tell you that this week we've been in contact with Feeding America and there's a new level of partnership that we're going to be able to achieve between Silver Creek Church and Feeding America. And they have asked us if we would be willing to hold one feeding event every month of 2021. In fact, there's so much concern in certain areas, and the UP is one of those, and Marquette County is one of those, that there is funding that is going to be provided through Feeding America for each of those feeding events. My question for, for you and I as we look at this Christmas carol is, how does someone go from a place of, of rejoicing at the Christmas bells and the, the good news that will be to all the people to a place of despair. Well, in, in, in Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's life, there were two specific events that happened that really helped make that transition. The first one took place in 1861, his wife was sealing envelopes with wax in their home and the dress that she was wearing caught on fire. And it literally, it, it just engulfed her in flames. Henry rushed to his wife and began to extinguish those flames as best he could. And by the time they were extinguished, 
It literally had burned her beyond recovery, and she died. That caused Longfellow to fall into a deep depression. The next event in his life took place just a couple, two or three years later. It was 1863. The Civil War was in its full fury. And history tells us that 625,000 troops were killed during the battle between the North and the South. And Longfellow's poem, it mentions, in, 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 uh, it's not included in the carol, but it mentions the thunderous cannons, which is a reference to the Civil War taking place. And he, he talks about how it's like the impact of an earthquake on families and on our nation. On December 1st, 1863, he received a telegram at his home that his son Charlie a Union soldier had been wounded in the Battle of New Hope. He was shot through the left shoulder and it exited under his right shoulder blade. They feared that he would be paralyzed. He was brought home so his father could take care of him and so that he could recover. At Christmas, just three weeks later, the church bells were ringing. Henry writes in his poem, there is no peace on earth. He had been focusing on the hatred that existed between the north and the south. And he said that the sounds of the battle mock the angels' words of peace on earth, goodwill to men. His depression was to the point of despair. And, and his depression and his hatred of the war literally drowned out the message of the good news declared by the angels. The book of Proverbs tells us that anxiety weighs down the heart. I'm so glad that first, uh, in Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 5, 7, that the apostle Peter said this, and it's something that I think that we need to grab a hold of and remember, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Maybe you find yourself today in a place of despair. Maybe it's because of the loss of some loved ones. Maybe it's some tragedy in your life that you've experienced. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe there's some form of insecurity that you're dealing with, some fear, some, some separation anxiety that you have. Friends, I want to declare this hope to you today that God desires to exchange your despair for his hope. And finally, let's look at this battle of hope. The depression that Longfellow was experiencing on Christmas Day, hearing the bells, knowing that they were declaring the birth of the Messiah. With the death of his wife and that tragedy so fresh in his mind, and his son, more than likely, now home under his care, being injured, the fear of paralysis, all of these things weighing on his mind and his heart, he writes these words in one of the final verses. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. 
God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. He writes that the sound of the bells is growing louder. Does he mean that literally somebody is, is pulling on that, that, that rope in the, in the belfry tower harder and harder to make that bell ring louder? No, I don't think so. I think what he really means is that the message that those bells are declaring is becoming more and more pronounced as he's thinking about it. And there is a realization of hope that God is alive, that he is not dead, and that God is awake and God hears and he knows. And the truth of the good news of the gospel becomes louder than his grief and louder than his desperation and depression. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 24, where two women went to Jesus' tomb on Easter Sunday morning, and they did not find Jesus' body. And two angels appeared to them, and they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? And then we read in verse 6 of Luke 24, we read these words where they say, the angels say, he is not here, he has risen. The good news is that Jesus came to this earth. He was born as an infant, but the good news doesn't end there. You see, he also rose again. He went to the cross, died on the cross for our sins, and rose again on the third day. And we can say that he is not dead. In fact, he doesn't even sleep. I don't know about you, but I need to make sure that I go to bed at a decent hour because I need that seven, seven and a half hours of sleep every day so that I can function. I don't know how you do it, but that's the way I do it. And I realize that if I can get that sleep, I'm going to be strong. God does not slumber. He does not sleep. Psalm 121 says that very thing. Longfellow also mentioned that, that right uh, and wrong. He talks about right prevailing and that, that wrong is not going to prevail. And he's talking there about the Civil War, the Union and Confederate armies fighting over the issue of slavery. You see, Henry was an abolitionist. He believed that slavery needed to end and what he is declaring is that he believes that peace and freedom will prevail. I'm so glad that peace and freedom ultimately did prevail. But you know what? Sometimes the things that we want to see prevail, the direction that we want to see things go, it doesn't always happen that way. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21 the writer of Proverbs writes this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's purpose will always prevail. Doesn't mean that we're always going to get what we want, but God's purpose for our lives will prevail. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 
One of the most amazing verses that I believe Paul ever wrote. He writes this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, whatever situation you find yourself in, I can assure you today that God is at work. Maybe you've done everything that you know to do, and it's still not going the way that you think it should. I declare to you today in hope that in all things, God is at work. You know, Longfellow, his carol reveals that he was fighting a battle. It was a battle against grief, a battle against depression and loss. And it was a battle that, that he would be on top of it, and then he would be underneath it, and then he would be on top of it again. In fact, there's a few things that were told that he said throughout the course of his later life. One of them is this, how inexplicably sad are all holidays. And I think that it was a, something like that that caused him to believe and to say that he felt it was better to leave those memories and those holidays, leave them wrapped in silence. Maybe in your life, you feel like you're battling for hope. You're in a battle to restore hope in the place of despair. Well, I want you to know that I, I, I think there's an answer that the Bible gives us, and it's the Prince of Peace. The same Prince of Peace that the angels sang of when they appeared to the shepherds. The same Prince of Peace that Isaiah spoke of 750 years before Jesus was born when he referred to him as the Prince of Peace and the, to the end of his, gover or the, his government and peace, there will be no end. It's a lasting peace that God has for us. His authority and his purpose will prevail. And today, if you are fighting that battle, that battle for hope, I want to encourage you to simply invite the Prince of Peace into your battle. I'm so glad that the Bible tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible tells us that there is no weapon that's fashioned against us that will prosper. Today, if you're battling for hope, I, I just invite you, I encourage you, I implore you, call on him. He's the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this Christmas season. In my mind, I'm just imagining my own home and what it feels like to be gathered together with family, to be worshiping you and to see the preparation that's taken place in our home and, and the memories that that represents. But Father, we recognize that there are plenty among us who are suffering in their own hearts and minds 
because of these traumatic things that have happened in their lives, whether it's something from the past or something that's going on right now, but they feel like they're in a battle for hope and they feel like it's a battle that they've been losing. Father, I pray that through your Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would invade that living room right now. And that as they call upon you, the Prince of Peace, to bring hope to their despair, Father, I pray that there would be a supernatural transaction that takes place. That the despair that I have, I can offer to you, and in its place, you offer me your hope. Father, I pray that that hope would give birth to the peace of God, and that it would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Father, it doesn't mean that the past is going to be changed. It doesn't mean that, that everything aspect of our circumstance is automatically going to be different. But it does mean that in the midst of it, your purposes will prevail and we can have your peace. We no longer need to live in despair. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.